from the trenches. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to From the Trenches, real life in the accounting industry. My name is David Boyer from Change GPS. Joined with me, Paul Meisner from Freedom Mentoring. We are brought to you by BGL, Australia's number one corporate compliance and superannuation software and outsourced accountant taking care of all of your global resourcing needs. We are coming to you today from our Yarraville studio, Paul. Uh, thank you, David. Hello, listeners. Hello, all. Welcome. Hosting today uh, at, at my humble abode, David. Love a lovely day for it. It's beautiful. Outside. Uh, getting into the year, David. We are getting into the swing of it. Uh, we actually, I think we, we've, we've recorded on the same day two weeks in a row. So you never know, listeners. Might be a new leaf for us this year. And so much content this week, David. I did still turn up. 32 minutes late. Wasn't going to mention that, but it's all right. I'm, I'm just, I just put that stuff in the diary, plus or minus. Actually, it's never minus, plus an in hour. In fairness, we did, I did get here and you spent half an hour onboarding your new employee. I did. We're going to cover that uh, Cover that in a future show. It's been an interesting break, David. I think we, I did mention on the show that uh, my long-term staff member, my only staff member, had wrapped up just before Christmas. And so I went through the process of, Finding him. So when we get to the end of that, hopefully, touch wood, we're, uh, yeah. I've, I've no doubt the five ways uh, HR procedures and policies manual is a long and thorough read. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, Luke, it, 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 when you, the concept around losing 100% of your workforce and then having to is replace. The most, uh, is, is the most sensationalized headline you've ever come up with. It's you have good. one employee. Yeah, I know, but that's 100%, mate. It's not because you're productive. Oh, 50%. There we go. That got less exciting on the clickbait register, didn't it? Oh, well, I'm still going to use it. Uh, other people <laughs> use ground. far Paul worse. Well, you can use it when I, yeah. you, can, you can put it there when I You know what? We'll still put it as the episode title so that listeners click on it. Oh, no, we just reviewed why our not? strategy. Why? We've why been not? foiled. Why not? Uh, David, get us kicked off. The best and worst episode uh, this one is. David, give us your best on ground. From the trenches. Labor Party has dumped the franking credit policy that controversially they took to last year's election. It was one of about 600 policies that the quiet Australians didn't understand and couldn't get behind and was part of the reason they lost what was expected to be an unlosable election. This should be seen as a small win for accountants, I think. Have, accountants, they, have they honestly, like, has anyone taken its pulse? Has well, anyone double-checked that it's... The, the Australian was quick to, in its opening line on the Australian website, a very conservative publication for our uh, international listeners, they said that they've dumped the exact specific policy. So it could still come back in a, in a varying different form, but that specific policy has been dumped. It wasn't liked by accountants. It certainly wasn't liked by, I think even the tax commissioner weighed in on this one. Did he? It, it was just, I mean, it was just bad policy, clearly. for uh, We don't have to lecture that to accountants, and accountants certainly know that. It's What created this problem clearly is the tax-free uh, super over 60. If you actually want to tax it, just tax it. The fact that imputation, the imputation system is otherwise fine. Uh, we met the founder. Sorry, the, we met the... Uh, what do you call it? The, the nucleus of the Liberal Party movement about this policy, Tim Wilson, the member for Goldstein. You know what? We didn't publish that interview, did we? 
Okay, hopefully. Let's look through the archives. But we spoke If we to him. didn't, stay tuned for stay a bonus tuned. episode this week. But no, his take on it was very interesting. And he certainly, that was his issue and he ran with it. And he was very, very successful. Um, uh, I'm with you, David. I think that is certainly a win. I, th- see, I think they certainly um, uh, got the message loud and clear. Uh, one of the things that was interesting, I happen to know some people in the political sphere. Um, <laughs> uh, and up in the I, upper echelons of Australian no, society. No, not really. But one of the things that I wanted to understand was, was how this came about and what the impact was. And one of the things that was really interesting to me was the impact was not so much about whether or not franking policy comes back. And clearly there was no appetite to bring it back. One of the things that was interesting that came from someone in the political political sphere uh, sphere for me said, this is the last time that, you know, major parties that bring major tax initiatives to the table, um, and they actually thought that it was a real, it was a real problem for politics where these big ticket items that really need to be brought to bear or brought to the debate um, won't be and won't be for the wrong reasons. I think that's a real pity and certainly they thought so too. Um, worst on ground for, uh, sorry, worst. Best on ground, skipping ahead. From the trenches. Uh, the uh, ATO, we mentioned this in, like, in last week's episode, but the ATO have come out and said that the lodgement dates are automatically being extend, extended even further out to May uh, for people in bushfire-affected postcodes. Look, just a really smart and a really practical way to look at this, um, just giving people time to not only lodge but also to pay. I think that's really interesting. This is, of course, on business activity statements and income tax returns. 28th of May, I mean, that is a big... um, that is a big gap. It is always hard for business. Extended lodgement deadlines does mean that the debt piles up. But David, I've got some clients that have been, um, yep, sort of really affected by the bushfire. Not directly; they haven't lost, even though they haven't lost assets. Business being really down in um, tourist areas, big bookings being cancelled. You know, it, it is really tough out there for these people. And I just really great that the tax office is proactive on this one. It would seem, though, that not all areas of government are being as supportive of some of the small business initiatives. A fantastic initiative that's come out from the Morrison government is this incredible loan available to small business owners. It's a grant. It's up to fifty thousand dollar grant or a loan of between fifty and half a million bucks to help businesses impacted by the bushfires on 0.6% interest. I haven't seen if there's anything on the term, but I think they're long-term loans that they're putting in place, which are absolutely fantastic. I'm going to roll in some worst on ground onto this though. The uh, head of the ASBF, what's it called? What's her name? As Beth Bow. As Beth Kate Carnell, Kate Carnell uh, has criticised the loans, suggesting um, that taking on more debt isn't always the answer. I think it's a bit insensitive to the situations on the people who are taking on these loans. And I think most people would know if you have access to a loan that's 0.6% interest that's long-term, you're rolling everything into that. David, this is... Hey, I'm going to add one more before you Go respond if I can. Smart Company reported it. They've got sort of like a sub-edit line, useless in inverted commas, loans come under fire. The person who said that it was useless is Robbie Robertson, Correct. That's serious. I, I thought that was. 
Yeah, it did, <laughs> I had to do a double take too. <laughs> well, it was fake. Robbie Robertson, owner of Top Lake Boathouse, who says I'm a seasonal business. We're static turnover. We make the same every year. It's not going to make a difference. That Robbie doesn't understand how finances work doesn't mean it becomes a sub-edit line on smart company. It also I mean, it clearly doesn't um, – if uh, – uh, let me go back to my bit that I find so disappointing with this. One is just this gutter journalism in a way where we just always have to be picking fights. We – it's we, partisanship gone too far. Like it, this is a good is. thing. It, it's hard to say this is a bad thing. Just run can we it. actually just split anything up again? Like actually, well, no, can we, we just say, well, okay, we, we can't because Scott was in Hawaii at, when this whole thing started, and we just can't forgive him. And it doesn't matter if he does anything a- good. He's Adam Brandt. I mean, we're going it. clearly into worst on Granny, but Adam Brandt on Twitter came out and said actually called for an overthrow of the government. An actual member of Parliament called. This is <laughs> this is just this is partisanship gone mad. Anyway. Any, it's the most political we've ever got. But I saw that tweet. And, uh, sorry. Anyway, anyone, any business that has Bush any form of debt, any form of debt, um, credit card debt, ATO debt, um, into the cheapest any rate. loan debt, if you had the opportunity to borrow anything, whether it was ten, you know, to refinance a $10,000 credit card bill all the way up to a $500,000 loan, two years interest-free, the 10-year the government bond rate, which I think is about 0.6 interest rate, this would. This is an amazing. This is an amazing opportunity. You're borrowing for as if you're a triple A rated sovereign. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. It's for, a, for a small business in a bushfire. Yes, it's you know if, if you never want Where to extend we? the debt. Triple. But if you're replacing low, you know, low interest debt, you're replacing high interest debt with low interest debt. This thing is amazing. Uh, very disappointing that it was covered like that. Uh, my second best on ground, David. We'll move on from that political stuff. From the trenches. Uh, Trent McLaren, friend of the show uh, and frequent contributor. Don't know if he's a friend. (laughs) He's a friend of the show. Um, Tweeted this, an interesting uh, review, an an article out of Business Insider talking about San Francisco, calling it the hub of robot uh, restaurants. Uh, And and basically it's a review of a whole lot of uh, uh, robot restaurants and saying how they have gone out of business and sort of uh, largely failed to... Uh, see the resonance amongst consumers. One of the business it re- uh, references is Zoom, the pizza bot. I love my pizza bot. I love that. I can't even remember uh, when it was on the show. Robots and food. You're just obsessed. I loved it. I loved it. Um, uh, oh, it's it, it, just story, food for me. I don't care how it's produced. This story does it does remind me, and I think it fits in with the narrative. I think it was Tesla, but I, don't quote me on that, was the research around factory automation. Tesla. That said that Humans cobots, made it faster. Yeah, they they basically had uh, factory plants with all humans, all bots, or what they called cobots, which was bots and humans working together. And they found that cobots or the uh, mix of the two worked the best. I think it's just really interesting to um, a lot of this does come down to consumer tastes. And and the article was interesting on whether or not we were ready for a 100% robot experience. Uh, David, what are you... What do you got? I don't know. I was checking uh, something else. What are we talking about? Best. <laughs> the robot restaurants. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, from the trenches. Emma Tibbles, listeners might remember, um, was a guest on our show. We invited her in to pick some of her best and worst. She was a young CA on campus and a sterling Ambassador, example. I think. Ambassador, CA ambassador. something like that. Uh, put her on my CA Catalyst podcast as well because I thought we want to hear from people like that. Emma 
is active on LinkedIn, which is pretty impressive for a young person building her career. And I think the Paul Misers and David Boys of the world would say that's good advice because it's worked out well for us and certainly opened plenty of doors for us. But she's put on what she's looking for in an employer. Her and her friend have sat down on the back of a serviette. These are the columns to help and make a positive impact, to learn a lot. Team and company values align with mine, global mobility, ability to connect and work with amazing people, reputation, be known for good, and work-life balance. Would you employ somebody who wants that? Good on her. Great. And some of the big global companies will say they do that stuff. But my experience with work is this is the sort of stuff marketing and HR teams say they do, but when you get in there, you're grinding. I think it, I mean, it, it clearly depends how you apply this and, and, and it is very hard in a job interview sense to get a feel on what you're actually going in for. Um, you know, the, the what I often hear is the bigger the organisation, the sort of the, the different cultures that are in the different areas of the team. There's, of course, the overall culture, but um, mm. in, in a lot of these things you are as good as your immediate team rather than your uh, and, and your immediate boss. What's interesting is um, those attributes actually apply to small and big companies, I think. In, in some of those things, small companies are, are better to be – you can deliver it better. I'm not sure what global mobility necessarily means – if she wants to work for overseas clients, if she wants to be overseas. But Nick worked for you from China for about three months. Yeah, yeah, I know. And certainly I think just after you mentioned that, I was I was sort of benchmarking, I suppose, about yeah. uh, about against. Th- this concept of, of making positive impacts and being known for good is something that we are seeing certainly in, in this generation how, how rather you, than yeah, ours. I'm curious, how did you benchmark yourself against this? Um, Ability to connect and work with amazing people. I mean, I'm in once a week, so that... You tick that box. <laughs> I, the, the positive impact, I mean, I think hard to, certainly it's positive for, for clients. Um, the, the ability to connect and work with amazing people, apart from myself, David, uh, is hard in a smaller organisation. I think that's the yeah. working with, with different people. Certainly the global flexibility and mobility of, of geographical space, clearly the work-life balance. You know what? And learning a lot, I think, does uh, does very well in a small business. It's quite interesting. I was talking as to, well, um, but it's an interesting list. I spoke to Rebecca Mahalik this week, who is now head of accounting at Practice Ignition, and is joining me on the Zero Road Show. We're going to have a lot of fun together at the Zero Road Show. And she was talking about, yeah, what's it like there? And she goes, you know, I feel old, like everyone's so young here. And I thought, wow, like you know, you've got businesses now and those bigger businesses where, and if you if you're young, the business just has a different culture almost by default. And you know, is, is very something that came across my radar this week. There you go. Uh, last little, just a very small best on ground only because this was just uh, funny in the tax community. Uh, it, it does seem that uh, Russian, the Russian government, uh, have ousted or the entire government resigned because Vladimir Putin wants to change. Anyway, without boring you on that, he he's elevated to prime minister, the tax commissioner. So there you go. I didn't realise that that was uh, if you, you be head to tax commissioner is, is the next step. Is that the new uh, CFO to CEO step in, uh, in a government sense? Well, I'd like to think that the CFO is a bit more independent of thought at what I've expect this guy to be. I'd like to. I, I really do imagine the 
the Puppet Master strings are very short on this new Prime Minister. Yeah, I think you did tag uh, the ATO. In, I did on in, Twitter in, in, a, in a tweet just to see whether uh, whether no bites whether Mr. Jordan they stood away. Yeah. Whether Mr. Jordan has political aspirations. Uh, Can you imagine what Russia, would happen if clearly was, Russia is a slightly different. Can you imagine what would happen if a tax commissioner ran a country, a democracy? Like, actually, think about what would happen. About how many wasteful nonsense policies, how efficient government departments would get. A lot of people lose their jobs, I reckon. ATO, certainly not scared to get rid of people. Beautiful. If the, Over the years. If, if, the, if the ATO could, could write the policy, I think we'd have a far more efficient tax collection system. Yes. Right. Let's move on to Worst on Ground. From the trenches. Uh, worst on ground is actually the community spoke on this one for me. I, in my role at Change GPS, Paul, one of the things I'm trying to do is really articulate the the value proposition of everything that that, that these guys do because there's a lot in it, and we're trying to go well, for each thing. What are the benefits and what? Are, and so I'm talking and I'm reading and what are the outcomes? And I just noticed it's sort of like had this penny drop moment across the board. And we read a lot of accounting industry stuff, maybe more than average. There's very little people talking about actual results, like actual, tangible, money made, time saved. Where's the research? All Most of the case studies are, it's fantastic, I feel great, I saved X and it's a single case study. There isn't any research. And so I went on Twitter and I said, well, you know, is there any research-backed data on time saved or money made by using zero ecosystem apps? Heather Smith very kindly posted it in her Facebook group, just 3,700 members. Not a single person responded there. And a couple of people from Zero very kindly posted some Zero research, but that was more about the cloud and moving to the cloud as a concept rather than specific improvements. Now, Paul, as the profession who's charged with the noble duty of measurement, literally, is that good enough? It is. It's certainly very interesting, David. In this day and age of marketing, and we, we've used um, existential threats far more to sell to above, sell above software, research above back Actually, fact. we've fact. removed X amount of clicks. Like I get it, or we've saved I, I, if, X amount of time. If you're starting out, like I get it, you don't have the case studies yet. Fine, say what you want to do, what you hope to do. As soon as you get a little win, plug the crap out of it because it's what you got. That's what you got to do when you start. But we're like some of these things are really mature now. Like, why hasn't Receipt Bank told us how? Like, because they do. I'm not questioning. Well, some of them don't. But things like Receipt Bank save heaps of time compared to the pure paper way. Where's the research? And then all the case studies that back it up and says, here's how much time you get back to go play golf, spend time with the family, go on holidays. I think it's very powerful, and I think it's a real missed opportunity in terms of. For me, one of the things is it, it's some of these um, add-ons in a way, create a similar amount of work to get with some of the automation. Oh, was Google started talking to us then. She thought I was talking to There you her. go. To get some automation. It's, it's not a direct replacement of a fixed workflow. So I think some of the time saved, you'd have to be quite clear about how you calculated it because I'm sure some of the figures. The other thing for me, David, one of the really interesting things, um, I've been wanting to cover the topic for a while of... The implementation, the implementation gap between 
whether or not an app saves you time, it's, I think, and I think I got this from Paul Murray out of Account Kit, saying that you really have to get three times the benefit to make it worth your while because some of the setup, some of the implementation, and all of those other things are quite a challenge. It's not just once it's all running, how long does it change? Uh, how long does it, how much does it save me? It's how much of a hassle to get there to that. Okay, but is that research backed or is that just, oh, in my experience, like, where's the research? Why is there no research? I I think, I know, I think people, in a way, they'd be almost too scared to release research on the number of hours some of these things take to implement. Oh, because it'll be be like how, like, Marlboro knew that smoking causes cancer but sold cigarettes anyway. They're still selling their product even though it didn't actually improve. There's a couple I I can think of that it's like in year (laughs) one, it took. 50 hours to implement and it saved 48 hours. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and then it was obsolete a couple of years well, later. I so think, anyway, I, interesting. But, but I think I'm actually not sure about that three times thing because you're making a fundamental investment to change the way your business works for a decade. I think you should have a longer return on investment plan than just three times a new one. But I don't have any research to back that up. It's just my. my so I'm not saying it's. I'm not, I mean, I, sorry. I'm not, I'm not saying there's a magic number in my head, but I. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's. I think it's interesting. I, that was more about. Um, that was more. I think Paul's point was, it. Uh, it's not just the physical cost of implementing. It's also yeah, the, the time, the mental, and people need to be able 100%. to see a benefit. From the trenches, my worst on ground, David is. There's a blog coming out of uh, a company called Digit Digitus. Digits. Digits. Thank you. Digits. Uh, it was a group that built a, a crash lytics, a business analytical software. They've raised some money and effectively they're going to go and uh, fix small business accounting. Some in the industry commentators talking about this being the next zero um which you know, which I think in worst on ground for me about about that kind of hype. Um, you know, we we now sort of talk about things happening after uh, something as simple as a blog saying watch this space. It does have people in beta. Apparently, it does have a whole does lot it? of users. It's they've got already yeah, they've got, they've got bank bank feeds. Yes, so it was a closed beta. Their website does. Uh, you can ask to join. I think for me, it's just it's interesting when. These sort of things pop up. Yes, it's founders with some history of building software that sells. Does that make every idea they ever come up with, does that make the next product they do automatically successful? No, No. just because it raises money, certainly not in the current environment. Raise 10.5 mil, these these guys. Yeah, and to to build proper accounting software, arguably you're going to have to have a lot more. For me, this just raises a really interesting point in that you know, I don't think a lot of people realise the the events surrounding the success of Zero in certainly in Australia, but in New Zealand. New Zealand, they had uh, no competition. Uh, even by the time they came across to Australia, their competition effectively said, "No, no, no, desktops fine. No, 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 desktops fine." In short, were stuck in America and and largely sat on their hands, not particularly worrying about. It. There was also that fight between QuickBooks and Reckon and Intuit. So it was, and it was something new. It was the first time cloud accounting software had been done at that scale uh, and totally differently. I think people don't accept that we're now just 
um, especially some commentators, it just it, it, there's an Uber of everything or everything's going to get disrupted. I, I don't think, uh, you know, looking at what had to happen for Zero to be a success, um, can you can actually honestly say, is this the next Zero? Good luck to them, clearly. But America's now tied down with Intuit. Uh, the UK Sage has got it by the short and curlies. Intuit's doing exceptionally well and Zero's picking up its part. Australia's gone blue and New Zealand was born blue. So I don't know where no else the market the is. What, of course, well, clearly. Here's, here's my take. Um, we're talking about this because it got sent to us by six people. And I, yep. I had a good chat with uh, Trent McLaren was one of them who said it to me and had a, had a good chat with him about it. He made a good point. He said, look, it's a watch this space because what these guys will do is get the user experience right. So the front end bit, that's what they're really good at, which you know, to me is like, well, the front end just looks like Fathom and never, they never ever see the back end sort of thing. Um, here's my big questions. Every accounting app runs into trouble once they have to deal with government because they start dealing with tax. Or and, and tax data, which has a different level of security protocol. Um, and then they run into trouble when dealing with banks. Now, Intuit, we learned last year, in terms of Intuit's stronghold on the US, we learned last year with the turbo, turbo tax drama just how involved with government Intuit is. Like that, that is just not going away anytime, like ever, potentially. Like they are part and of the banks in the US is a big issue. World. Two and a half thousand or something micro banks. Banks are a massive problem yeah. in the US, and that's Checks. Know, part of the reason why I think Zero bought HubDoc was because it just it gave them the banks. It was already there. It was done. So um, the, the US is unbelievably hard to get in. How how is this company going to deal with banks and government differently to what Zero Intuit Sage has done? You still got Europe, but you in Europe countries have their own dominant pieces of software. The other big thing that you've got is businesses fundamentally don't like changing their accounting software. Just ask any accountant who's tried to talk to a client about a zero conversion. It's a really, really hard thing to do. This might be appealing to new businesses, young businesses, micro businesses. But if you're looking at that, there's actually a lot of competition in that space already. It is a very crowded space. This isn't you, – you look at when zero first started, it was, it was not crowded at all. There was There was no – sort of reasonable cloud accounting solution. And arguably in that I agree with you on that zero, uh, sorry, the user experience um, piece. They could do something really cool. But I think the zero, they nailed that with the bank feeds and the uh, bank rec side. That's for the accounting user experience, maybe not the business owner side. Business as well, arguably, but that's interesting. Uh, What else have you got? From the trenches. Um, new disruption in the super space. New disruption you, in the super space. Um, so there's another fintech that's come up targeting millennials who want green investments and green super funds. There's just one really simple question here. I get it and I get value-based investing is something that's very important. But when you're 60 and you're looking at how much you got left to retire on, what do you want? If, seriously, this is going to sound brutal. A few more trees or an extra $20,000 in your fund? Spaceship is where? Well, you struggled with the banking license, got fined for improper something practices and uh, and pulled out uh, of getting a license, which probably means they weren't necessarily going to get one. So it's 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 just, I, I get it. And there, there might be a portion, portion of the market that wants to do this. What's really interesting in Australia, because the super fund industry is so big, there's a lot of professionals. There's a lot of investment managers um, it's a it's an area where there's a lot of talent, so maybe some of that talent spills out at a pl- and you know it can work in this environment. Um, but it's really 
interesting. And, and I'm not so sure that just having small investments is the best way. If you care about this, I'm not so sure it's the best way. But uh, it ties into a really interesting blog post from the CEO of BlackRock, the global investment. What are they? Like VC, no capital, everything, they're huge. Um, and what they've basically said is, Climate change has become a genuine, or the weather changes impacted by climate change have become a serious risk to businesses, which means we are considering it in investment decisions and valuations. To me, when invest big investors, not mum and dad investors, big investors start thinking like that, that's when you're going to get a massive change of the needle. Massive, like huge, because the big capital all of a sudden starts flowing to the green projects or the greener projects, or anything that doesn't contribute to or gets impacted by changing weather patterns. Well, his... Um, I think I covered but all his, politically correct angles I could then so that no one can get it, angry with me. It'd be interesting to see, and I, I haven't read all of the article, uh, the Washington Post article. Fancy that. But <laughs> it's interesting. For me, there's two issues. One is not investing... Sorry. One is putting a risk profile on stocks that are at the mercy of climate change is different to me from being ethical around the contributing factors. Correct. So what he specifically said was they're exiting um, thermal coal investments. That's Australian energy. Is that the fracking? Is that fracking? That's no, just, no, we're getting beyond my expertise here. Fair enough. No, and I and I think that's for me. That's the two different things. One is, um, you know, certainly putting it in your risk profile. This interesting. This new super green fund uh, that wants to come elevate super. Uh, looking at a lot of funds, I think will promote their green credentials. They they might. Um, there's comment in this article about they won't. Uh, have any um, oil or gas investments, but they won't necessarily go the extra step of not investing um, people up the chain or down the chain, however you want to think of it, like airlines and transport uh, and shipping that relies on that. Um, for me, I, I just think that changing super is is really hard um, it's not. It's not necessarily something. I, I mean, hard mentally as I'm, well as. I'm actually about. Oh yeah. Okay. As well as physically, I, I just. I also wonder whether people will switch. It's like, is is a green, is is a green push enough to get people to actually vote when there is concerns around a new player and the all important returns for retirement. I think. I think it's interesting. I think people will go. Will just go to maximize the returns and hopefully will be fed enough crumbs on uh, the green credentials. You've got one existing. more. It's a Paul Meisner classic. We're running out of time. Uh, compliance isn't dead. Clearly, uh, we know this. But it, a very interesting <laughs> article out what of... What is the research-backed data? Ah, oh, fine. Um, just a really interesting... There was a case in the US Supreme Court, you know, because we're covering global on this show, clearly, um, just about the complexity of the state taxes and municipality taxes in the US. Uh, this was a case where the common tax treatment of a lot of taxation is around a physical presence. Does your business have a physical presence in a certain jurisdiction? And that's been when traditionally there was bricks and mortar 
investment now with the ability to service clients, a la the, you know, our Google subscriptions coming from Singapore or or all of that. Um, the US tax laws are being written differently now at a local level about having um, an economic nexus. So actually being more about where your customers are or where the business is being done, not necessarily where you are, just creates an absurd amount of complexity. God. Um, and don't clearly don't want to go into it. Um, some of the tax nerds will love it. How but one f- of the things it will be interesting because I think globally we're gonna we're seeing that problem. Uh, when we spoke to David Bradbury, uh, the from the OECD around the challenges of the global tax treaties, um, bringing them all together, clearly, I, I think taxation needs does need to go into a more uh, economic nexus. Paul Myers, way taxation reform thought leader, <laughs> global. 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 <laughs> Global thought leader, tax, comma, taxation reform. Well, that is a good segue. Just very interesting. But a very interesting article. About to record, which is going to be this week's in-depth topic, which is coming up on if uh, advice to our younger selves, yours would probably be don't aim local, go global. Find out well, in our next episode of From the Trenches. Have a great week, everybody. See you soon. Thanks again for listening to an episode of From the Trenches. David and I love to hear from listeners, so you can reach out if you've got feedback or story ideas, get in touch. I can be reached on Twitter at Paul Meissner underscore or on LinkedIn, Paul Meissner. I'm on Twitter at David Boyar, B-O-Y-A-R, on LinkedIn, David Boyar. From the Trenches.